You're listening to the Pastor Writer Podcast, episode 14. In today's podcast, I have a quick announcement as well as some reflections on a topic I've been thinking a lot about lately, the process of rewriting and revision and why poor writing comes so naturally to us. Why is it that we find ourselves writing things that aren't good? What do we do about it? How do we learn to recognize it? And how do we learn to become a better writer through rewriting and a kind of honesty about what really motivates us to write in the first place? I hope you enjoy, and I would love to hear your thoughts about today's episode. Thanks. If you have listened to this podcast for very long, you know I've been working on a manuscript based on the life of Samson and his father Manoah. The book is about the epidemic of discontentment in modern men, and the book is about learning to develop the discernment that helps you uncover your true identity, the identity God is leading. Well, this week I took a big step in the publishing process. I've officially accepted an offer of representation from Janet Grant of Books and Such Literary Agency. Janet was one of the agents that I had on my shortlist for several months, and it's a real honor to have her on the team and for me to be able to join and be a part of the Books and Such community of authors. That relationship was just one of the great things that came out of my recent trip to San Jose for the Mount Hermon Writers Conference. During the week-long conference, I had a chance to participate in the self-editing track. The morning sessions covered a wide range of editing tips from refining the purpose and vision of your work to recognizing overwritten prose. The topic of self-editing is one I'm particularly interested in. It's one of the major lessons I've taken away from the last year of writing. As Ernest Hemingway put it, the only kind of writing is rewriting. Learning to edit yourself is what writing is all about. Almost no one actually reads your writing. They read your revisions, your rewriting. That gave me a lot of courage, especially early on. In the beginning, writing a book is a seemingly unachievable goal. It took everything in me to believe I could just get the thing written. It can be a little demoralizing to realize that having written a book, it's really just the beginning of the process. I've gone through probably four full revisions, and I'm currently working on new additional revisions suggested by the new agent. There'll probably be more from the publisher after that. That might sound like a lot of work, which it obviously is, but with every pass, I can see the book getting stronger. The points are more clear, the transition's smoother, and though keeping your interest up is a marathon, I'm more convinced by and passionate about what I've written than even I was in the beginning. You also begin to recognize where you tend to go wrong, where the writing is not as good as you wish it were. Early on, my mistakes were wandering off course, explaining tangential points and illustrating beyond what is really necessary. I also have a tendency to say the same thing in consecutive sentences. I'm really trying to figure out what it is I want to say, searching for the right sentence. Revising, I can recognize what I'm searching for right away and say it the way that it probably should have been said the first time. Once I've found it, it's time to delete the rest and say it just once the way it needs to be said. With every revision, you feel more and more the writer you hope to be at the beginning of the process. Sitting through the Mount Hermon sessions and reflecting back on my own writing helped clarify why writing is so hard. Well, it's hard for a lot of reasons. Maybe I should say I started to recognize some of the reasons why I write poorly. I want to share a few of those with you. The first thing that's worth saying is that taste plays a big role in the process. That sounds so pretentious, I realize. Snobby. I know. What I mean is that sometimes our writing isn't as strong as we would like for it to be because we haven't taken the time to refine our taste for good writing. Maybe we are more interested in the image of being a writer 
then we really have cultivated a taste for the kind of writing that we like. This can be one of the deadliest errors, because without the taste to guide you through revisions, you sometimes don't recognize how poor your writing actually is. Now, taste is subjective, and by no means am I suggesting that if you want to be a writer, everyone should be reading The New Yorker and pursuing only the most literary, highbrow writing voice that you can possibly conjure up. There isn't just one taste out there. People like Oreos as much as they like souffle. We cultivate all kinds of tastes, and when it comes to writing, we do it primarily through our reading, by reading a lot. We cultivate our own voice by recognizing and appreciating what others have written. There's a fine line here between appreciation, developing our taste, and cheap imitations. It's one of the reasons I don't tend to read while I'm actually doing the writing. But there is simply no way to develop as a writer without reading. Stephen King has a well-known way of putting it. If you don't have time to read, you don't have time or the tools to write. Simple as that. Occasionally, I'll meet a person who talks to me about someday wanting to write a book. But when you start to talk about books, you soon discover that they don't seem too interested in reading very many between now and then. On a side note, keep most of your reading to yourself. What matters is what you do with it. Too many people try to convince people of their intellect by mentioning the important books that they're currently reading. Read as much as you can, as quietly as you can. Don't trade the work for cheap impressions. Internalize it. That's the key. Read to truly shape who you are, your voice, your taste, not just to shape people's perceptions of who you want to be. Now, reading just gets you started. But if your writing doesn't seem as good as you want it to be, it's possible you just haven't learned to recognize good writing and are ill-equipped to produce it. No one is born able to write. We learn it. And we learn it in big part by the reading. Taste is important, but it's not the main reason I think, myself included, we tend to produce poor writing. The second reason is this, and probably more accurate for where you are. A lot of poor writing comes from not really knowing what you want to say. That might surprise you, but try telling someone in one or two sentences what you're currently writing about. It's remarkably hard. Most authors are still processing what they have attempted to say even after they've written the entire book. And the truth is, if you waited until you had every sentence planned, knew what you wanted to say with every word of an entire manuscript, well, you would probably never actually sit down to do the writing. At some point, you have to get started, and getting started often means wandering places through a fog. One American novelist has a famous way of saying it. Writing is like driving at night in the fog. You can only see as far as your headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. Not being entirely clear shouldn't stop you from writing, but you have to be able to look back and find the places you veered off the road. I mentioned before this is a common problem for me. I usually have an idea of what I want to say, but I often go looking for the right way to say it. There are a couple of ways to deal with that. Some authors work out strict outlines, while others write almost stream of consciousness. There's no right or wrong way, as long as you recognize what you have to do and know how to keep improving it. In many ways, you're just choosing where you prefer to allocate the actual work. If you write searching for what you want to say, then admit that much of what you have written probably needs to go. And if you write from an outline, use the revision process as an opportunity to expand, experiment, to push yourself. Personally, I'm somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. As I'm working on a chapter, I tend to accumulate thoughts and notes. Sometimes I manage to get them in my notes app on my phone. Sometimes they're just gibberish scribbled on scraps of paper and backs of envelopes and receipts, whatever I can get my hands on at the moment. 
These notes pile up until they start to overwhelm me. That feeling always propels me to get organized. I start moving notes to an outline, usually a new note in my notes app. That outline grows until I catch myself starting to write sentences. The outline has gotten too detailed. I'm starting to waste time. Whenever I catch myself searching for just the right words in an outline point, I know that it's time to put away the outline and start writing. Usually I write in long bursts. Most of the thinking done in the outline, I can write four or 5,000 words. But sometimes in the flow of writing, I can feel the outline beginning to break down. Bullet points that made sense together now don't feel congruent. If I stop now to work it out, I usually end up overwriting, producing paragraph after paragraph after paragraph, not really knowing where I'm going and not really knowing how to get back. I can always spot it in the revisions. Some problem gets me looking for a solution, and the writing suddenly veers off wandering in any direction until suddenly it comes back. There's nothing wrong with that process, as long as you can be objective enough to recognize it when you read your work a second time. As long as you realize that your thought process might not be the best way to present the information to the reader, you can always fix it. Take heart. In your exploring, if you eventually found what you wanted to say, then you've won. Disoriented writing is one of the easiest types of poor writing to correct. Revisions give you a chance to actually say what you meant and to get rid of everything else. My third source of poor writing is probably the most dubious. To spot this one, you're going to have to be objective about more than the writing itself. Often, poor writing flows from a distorted motive for the writing. If you are really honest, sometimes we all write to try and make something true that simply isn't. We write to try and make something true about ourselves. Early on in the book I'm currently working on, I talk about a man named Joseph Campbell. He's credited with identifying the hero's journey. It's the narrative framework used in movies from Star Wars to Moana. Campbell was heavily influenced by the psychologist Carl Jung. That's the kind of stuff I can geek out on. Next thing you know, I'm at the university library tracking down footnotes and frantically typing page-long quotes. In this particular case of Jungian universal archetypes, before I realized what I was doing, my chapter had turned into an academic history of mythological collective psychology and Jung's theory of the subconscious. I was a long ways from Samson. It was all very interesting and well-researched, but it really served absolutely no purpose. Well, I probably shouldn't say it served no purpose. It served to make me feel smart. Writing involves a borderline lethal dose of ego. You need to recognize that right away. It's like when the doctor, to save your life, has to render an almost lethal dose of medication. Writing requires something similar. The whole process is so self-centered that it risks driving you mad. But if you can do it honestly, something wholly human and wholly real ends up on the table. Do it right and the ego drive that may have opened the first lines has been healthily crushed by the humility of the closing lines. The final work may be entirely about you, but there should be very little of you left in it. The author George Orwell once pointed out, All writers are vain, selfish, and lazy, and at the very bottom of their motives lies a mystery. Writing a book is a long, exhausting struggle, like a long bout of some painful illness. One would never undertake such a thing if one were not driven by some demon whom one can neither resist nor understand. I tend to find a more benevolent voice calling me into the process, but the demons get their say as well. Maybe that sounds like a bit of hyperbole, but the vain demand of attention from our own ego rears itself all too often in our writing. Writing demands self-awareness. 
but sours quickly when too much self ends up on the page. We interject ourselves into the writing, siphoning off the reader's attention from the actual work we are trying to present. We can't help ourselves. We write hoping that the reader will take away something about us rather than themselves. Insecurity, subconsciously, has been using our writing to make us feel smart, to look wise or empathetic. We start writing for ourselves, and almost always it cheapens the work. We reach for big words when they aren't needed. We make arguments that reflect our own anxieties, not the reader's. We over-describe and overwrite, trying to convince the reader we are a real writer. It's all kind of sad, really. But worse, it can be extremely difficult to admit. Sometimes, the insecurity can cause us to defend some of the worst parts of our writing. We know something isn't working. Something isn't quite right. It's wrong because it isn't there for the reader. It's there for us. And we can fight vehemently to protect ourselves. Usually, editors spot it right away. But recognizing it in your own writing takes self-awareness and honesty. It takes a life that has done previous battle with the ego and learned to recognize the eloquence of its distracting ways. It takes a soul that has a pretty good inventory of its own problems and its previous and frequent attempts to guard and protect its own interests. There's an often misidentified and probably overquoted saying that goes, Writing is easy, you just open up a vein and bleed. It's worth putting here in this context. Good writing isn't just a matter of getting the commas and the colons in the right place. Good writing keeps the writer out of the way. Good writing exists for the reader, not for the writer. Good writing requires the author to die. The author must always leave the scene. That doesn't mean you can't share your own experiences. It means you can't do it to serve yourself. It has to be there for the reader. This week, I came across a fascinating article in the Chronicle of Higher Education. The article is titled, Why Most Academics Will Always Be Bad Writers. Let me read a section from the article to you. Academic writing is bad. An academic should feel bad for it. Academics have been kicking, or if you prefer, virtually dialectically deconstructing, academic writing for more than a decade. Many academics, and especially young ones, tend to confuse incomprehensibility with profundity. Stephen Walt declared in 2013, Call me simple-minded, call me anti-intellectual, but I believe that most poor scholarly writing is a result of bad habits, of learning tricks of the academic trade as a way to try and fit in. Obscurity creates an aura of importance. And then listen to this line. These critics say, A clotted style is a sign of a clotted soul. Poor writing is a sign of an impoverished soul. An undisciplined soul will produce undisciplined writing. That's worth spending some time thinking about. Be careful taking up the task of writing. One way or another, it will expose you. Whatever desperate desire brought you to the page usually ends up written on the page. Maybe the best way to say it, notice I'm still searching for it, maybe the best way to say it is fight the pretense. Pretense is an attempt to make anything that is not the case appear true. It's a false display of feeling and attitudes and intentions. What are my intentions in writing this sentence? Is this true of who I actually am, what I'm really feeling? Or am I trying to convince myself of something? Am I trying to convince myself by trying to convince others? Have I actually lived this? Be brutal about it. Your writing depends on it. I think your pretense is far more obvious and debilitating for readers than misspellings and dangling participles. Your writing has to be honest. 
not just in what you say, but in how you attempt to say it. If you write to feel good about yourself, do something else, or better yet, keep it to yourself. It's going to turn out bad anyways. By no means is this podcast motivated out of my own having mastered these temptations. Rather, it's motivated out of my all-too-frequent failure to them. I'm sure they've crept into even parts of this work. But learning to recognize the sin is half the battle, half the process of revision. Keep reading, figure out what you really want to say, and say nothing until you can say it true. As always, you can find show notes by going to pastorwriter.com slash 14. If you're enjoying the podcast, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes. I always enjoy hearing the feedback. And as always, feel free to share it with friends or anyone else who might be interested in the topic. Thanks for listening. Until next time.